This morning we are talking about how to fight anxiety. How to fight anxiety as we continue through chapter four of Philippians. Um, I remember when we were flying over here um, from South Africa to Cayman, um, having taken up the position as pastor of, of Sunrise and we had pretty much sold up everything and all the paperwork was done, everything had fallen into place and we're in the plane and I was looking at my two girls who were fast asleep and I was looking at Janine who was also fast asleep and you know, it should have been one of those oh, Hollywood moments, you know, but uh, in that moment I was just filled with all of these anxious, these anxious thoughts like, you know, what are you doing? Uh, what if this doesn't work? Um, you know, we've just given up everything. My family has sacrificed so much for me to come and pursue my dream job and my dream calling. You know, my, I, I've uprooted my girls from their friends and from their grandparents and from their cousins. Uh, my wife had this very successful art career in South Africa and now she's coming over to teach school. And, you know, we had good friends, we had a wonderful church. What if this is all a big mistake? What if the elders, what if Adam and Paula don't like me? What if the church just flops? And so, you know, I just had this barrage of, of anxious thoughts coming through my mind. And the longer it went on, the, you know, the more worked up I got and I couldn't sleep. I mean, I struggled to sleep anyway on an airplane, but this was just next level. And I, I'm guessing many of you can relate to this in some way. Many of us here you know, come from other countries and we, we came here seeking employment, seeking better opportunities. And maybe the reason why we left our home countries was because of stressful or anxious situations. And now they've just been replaced by other types of anxious uh, situations and stressful uh, scenarios. <clears throat> Excuse me, maybe for, for others of us, it's not so much that, it's, it's anxiety around a relationship issue, uh, you know, a, a marriage issue, or maybe it's a, some, some anxiety around uh, financial situations, uh, or if you're single, you know, you're, you're anxious, will I ever get married, uh, or you've got some pretty big life decisions to make, do I go here, do I go there, do I stay, and it's literally causing you sleepless nights. So how do we cope? How do we cope with all of these anxious situations and scenarios that we're in? One option that we do is we go off to psychologists and, and counselors and we, we pay a lot of money who, who help us, who help us identify the, the source of the anxiety and they can give us uh, coping mechanisms. Um, another thing I did was I, I literally Googled my sermon title, how do you fight, uh, how do you fight anxiety? I plugged that in and um, one website gave a list of practical coping strategies. Um, uh, we'll put a couple on screen. One said, uh, take time out, which is, which is really cool. Uh, you know, step back from the problem, can't get a perspective on it. Uh, eat well-balanced meals, because uh, depending on how you react to anxiety, either you don't eat at all, or you overeat on, on the wrong thing. Uh, limit alcohol and caffeine, because apparently that can aggravate uh, tr and trigger panic attacks. Get enough sleep, exercise daily, and then I must admit, the last two really, uh, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll just tell you what they are. The last, the second last one said, count to 10 slowly. And then it said, if necessary, repeat. And then it said, if necessary, count to 20. <laughs> Something really, like so in mild cases, count to 10, you should be fine. If in really, really bad cases, you're gonna have to count all the way to 20. Then the last one said this, maintain a positive attitude. Now tell me, how are you supposed to do those things when you are gripped by anxiety? Just think positive thoughts. 
And I'm thinking, how when I was in that aerop- you know, airplane? You know, how, how was I supposed to think positive thoughts when, when anxiety has overtaken my ability to think rationally? Or take deep breaths. How if you're having a, a panic attack? Get enough sleep. How are you supposed to get enough sleep when you've got adrenaline running through your body, you've got your heart rate going through the roof, and you cannot switch your mind off? Now I realize I'm probably being a bit facetious and a bit harsh, um, and there's probably a lot more context to those, those practical points. But here's my point. As good as those practical points may sound, their success is reliant on our ability to apply them in the moment. And that's my point. Not many of us have that ability in the moment to kind of snap out of it by applying those tips when we're so gripped by anxiety. One scholar said anxiety is, is an over-concern. It's, an, it's a hyperdrive of something that has grabbed hold of your mind, something that has grabbed hold of your heart. So I was thinking, okay, is it possible, is it possible for our minds and our hearts to be grabbed hold of something bigger that will result in a superior emotion to fight off the anxiety? That's what I want to know. Is there something outside of my ability? Is there something outside of my lack of ability that can flood my heart and flood my mind and cause the anxiety to dissipate? And so thank goodness for us, we're not the only ones who struggle with anxiety. Even the Philippians, way back in the first century, they struggled with it. Remember, this is in the context of the Apostle Paul telling us that we are to stand firm in the Lord. The whole of chapter 4 is how we can stand firm in the Lord. Last week, we, we, we saw that we can stand firm by overcoming conflict. That conflict is one of the big enemies to our unity and standing firm in Him. And now He's going to show us how to stand firm against anxiety. So, won't you read Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7 with me? If you don't have a Bible, just pop your hand up. Avi's over there. He's got some Bibles. You can put some in your hand. Rachel's at the back there. Anyone here want a Bible? If you don't have a Bible at home, you can just grab one of those and, and take it home as long as you... Thank you. All right, so here we go. Philippians chapter 4 from verse 4. Everyone okay? You there? It is on screen, but I'd like you to have it because you can see it in its context, the whole of chapter 4. Great, here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that right now for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. So here's what Paul's proposing, that as Christians, we can fight anxiety in and by the joy of the Lord. The more joy we can have in Jesus will begin to drown out our anxiety. So here's how we're going to tackle it. We fight anxiety in the joy of the Lord by, number one, rejoicing in the right thing, Number two, reacting in the right way, and then lastly, responding to the right voice. 
Now, I know that sounds exactly what I was saying about trying to fight anxiety off in your own strength. Hey, well, I've got to be the one rejoicing in the right thing. I've got to be the one reacting in the, in the right way. I've got to be the one responding to the right voice all while I'm anxious or while, all while I'm in that anxious situation. So am I being hypocritical here? I would be if it wasn't for an incredible little phrase that I think holds all of Paul's argument together. And I think if we can understand this phrase and let it penetrate our hearts and our minds, we will have an ever-growing, successful fight against anxiety. Here it is. Look at verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Here it comes. The Lord is at hand. If we want to fight anxiety well, we need to know that. We need to know that the Lord is at hand. But what does that mean? You see, if we can understand the Lordship of Jesus, what, if we can understand what that means, our lives will never be the same again. I guarantee you. The more you grow in your understanding of just how authoritative, just how powerful Jesus is, your relationship with Him will take on new meaning and new depth, and your worldview will completely change, not to mention your anxiety levels. You see, the Lordship of Jesus means that there is absolutely nothing that he does not reign or rule over. There's not an inch in this created world that he does not sovereignly reign over. And it's okay if you are skeptical about that statement. But it's not okay not to investigate that further for yourself. That's what I did many years ago. Jumped into this, into this Bible and I wanted to find out just how sovereign, just how in control he is. And he completely changed my life and my awe and my worship of Jesus. So let me give you a little snapshot of his authority. Look at Colossians 1, verse 16 to 17. It says this, talking about Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. In other words, he is preeminent, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is not only the agent of creation across two realms, a heavenly realm and a physical realm, invisible things and visible things, but they were all made for him. The purpose that absolutely everything exists, the purpose that you exist is not for you, it's for Him and His purposes. And because all things were made by Him and because all things were made for Him, He therefore holds all things together, meaning He sustains absolutely everything. This world, let me just tell you, is not held together by Mother Nature, whatever that is. In fact, we, we kind of substitute that. Now, now we say universe. You watch these movies where they say, oh, the universe was so kind to me this week. That's when I have to count to 20. <laughs> the universe was made by Jesus, for Jesus, and is held together by Jesus. The fact that we're not floating off into outer space, into outer space is because of Jesus' will over us right now. Hebrews 1.3 says this, that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. We woke up this morning because Jesus said, hey world, 
You stay right where you are. Hey, world, you spin on your axis at that particular angle. That includes your very next breath, according to Acts 17. He gives us life and minute-by-minute breath and everything we need. Verse 28 says, for in him we live we and move and exist. If there was no him, we wouldn't live. We wouldn't move. We wouldn't exist. You think, yeah, okay, well... But if he's sovereign and Lord over all things, then what about all the bad things that happen in my life? What about all of the stressful and anxious things in my life? Well, you should know this one, Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that God causes, I love that word. That's a big sovereign word right there. God causes what? All things, not some of the things, all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stressful, the anxious, the beautiful. He causes all of it to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Why? Because all things were made for Him. You have to be Lord over all things in order for that to happen. You have to be an almighty, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient God to be able to do that for absolutely every single one of us. That's a very, very big God. If you are called by Him and for His purpose, that is what is guaranteed for each and every single one of us. Do you believe that? Do we get that? Because that will change everything especially when it comes to our anxiety. Because Paul says, going back to our little phrase in chapter four, he says, he is at hand. This mighty, sovereign Jesus is at hand. And what does that mean? He's at hand in terms of his presence. He fills his church, he fills each and every single believer in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is with us, he is always with us. He will never forsake us. He is faithful to us even when we are faithless to him. And secondly, in an eschatological way, a very big word that just simply means that he's coming back. He's, in terms of his presence, he's coming back. Jesus is coming back at the end of the age, whenever that is, and he will finally and fully usher in his kingdom. And the book of Revelations tells us that when that happens, there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. No more bitterness, no more financial stress or relationship heartache. All of the things that cause so much stress and anxiety in us will be gone. So what he's telling us is we have strength now. We have strength for this current age. And we have perspective on this current age because of the coming kingdom. That is the foundation for why and how we can apply these three principles to help us in our fight against anxiety. So knowing that, we're going to look now quickly at these three principles, and then I want to end as practically as I can. So here we go. Because the Lord is at hand, number one, rejoice in the right thing. The best way to fight anxiety is to fight with its opposite emotion, and in this context, it's joy. 
And to have a joy that will squash anxiety means we had better be rejoicing in the right thing. And so Paul says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord, not in yourself, not in your own ability, not in so-and-so, but in the sovereign Lord Jesus who is in complete control over all things. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Be consistent because he's consistent. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. But what, I, what astounds me about this verse is that Paul is commanding us. It's a command. He's commanding us to find our joy in God. And then he says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. So he's commanding us to stop feeling one particular emotion and start feeling another particular emotion. Stop feeling anxious and start feeling joy. I'm thinking, well, Paul, can you really do that? Can you really just simply command someone to, 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 you know, to change how they're feeling? I remember growing up when my parents used to tell me, Jason, stop sulking. I was like, really? How? You know, I wanted to go to the movies, and you said I can't go to the movies. Therefore, I'm sulking. How, how, you know, sometimes it's just like a little flick of a switch, and then boom, I'm happy. Right? So in the same way, you know, when we're anxious, we're anxious about something. Something's causing that anxiety. You know, business is not going well, or marriage is on shaky ground, or you've got all of these big decisions to make. And so how, how do you simply stop being anxious in those moments? So Paul is not being naive here. What he's telling us to do is to replace it with a superior positive emotion. Joy will erode your anxiety. But it can't just be any kind of joy. Just like your anxiety has a source, so your joy must have a source. Emotions don't just simply appear in a vacuum. They have an origin. They have a stimulus. And so if our joy is to supersede our anxiety, it must have a superior stimulus or object, namely rejoice in the Lord. Because the temptation for us is when we're in that anxious situation, is to look to something or to someone that we will then hope in. And if we hope in them, that will bring us, us joy. So we look to our, our own strengths, or we, we look to someone else, or we just kind of hope that the situation will go away, or we hope that a change of scenery will help. And if we're convinced that that thing or that person will help, we begin to rejoice in them. We begin to find and look for our joy in them, and our confidence in them, and our peace in them. And they become our functional saviors. So as Christians, we declare with our lips, no, no, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but functionally, we're actually looking to this thing or to that person. But this person or this thing is not the Lord who is at hand, who has authority and power and dominion over all things. And they will eventually disappoint you. And they will probably cause us more anxiety in the end. Therefore, with that logic in mind, God, by, by commanding us to rejoice in Him, it's one of the most loving things that He can do. He knows that He is the best thing for us because He is the, I hope you don't need that. He's the, he the best thing for us. He is big, large, and in charge. And so He graciously commands us to now experience that in him so the question we need to ask ourselves is is my situation too big for god and if the answer is no then paul says 
Well, now you can rejoice in him. The second question we have to ask ourselves is, will we ever be in a situation that is too big for God? And if the answer is no, then we can rejoice in him always. So what are you rejoicing in, Sunrise? Because our ultimate joy must come from our ultimate idol, which is Jesus. It's so easy to worship and find joy in the things or the means that Jesus uses, like a doctor, a new job, a friend, money, whatever it might be. When we worship the things Jesus uses, they become the idol, they become the hope and the joy of our lives, not the giver of those things, but because they're not him, because they're not actually at hand, because they don't have all authority, they will ultimately disappoint us. So point number one, we need to be rejoicing in the right thing. The second way we fight off anxiety is by reacting in the right way. Because how many times do our reactions make matters worse? Listen to what Paul says in verse five. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And I mean, that's brilliant advice from Paul, but it's another thing to apply when you're actually in that stressful situation, when you're in that anxious moment. You know, emotions are running high, tempers might be flying, there's indecisiveness. And so sometimes the last thing we feel like doing is being reasonable. In fact, it gets more challenging because that word reasonable can also be translated as gentleness. Let your gentleness be made known to everyone. That means not seeking to retaliate, being kind, being courteous, being tolerant, not being spineless, but being selfless. That's a big challenge because when we're anxious, it becomes all about us, right? If you think that's a challenge, let's first take into account what was happening in Philippi. Like we saw last week, there was this very stressful situation between two ladies in the church. It was obviously causing a lot of anxiety uh, and, and enough to warrant Paul to write about it in his letter. And we, we're not sure what it was all about, but clearly it was disrupting the unity of the church. Maybe there were even factions beginning to brew in the church. And so Paul says they are to react to each other with gentleness and in kindness in order to resolve the situation, in order to redeem the situation and reconcile the relationship. And then on top of that tension within the church, there was this oppressive political situation that was endangering their lives. Remember, Philippi was a Roman colony, and, and so that meant everyone under their rule had to declare Caesar as Lord, not Jesus, but Caesar as Lord, and then worship all of their other gods and deities that they had. But we know, and they know, knew, that Christianity is monotheistic, meaning we believe in one God, the one true God. And so, furthermore, on top of that, Christianity was not recognized as an official religion by Rome. And so having this forced upon the Philippian church would have probably resulted in, in one of two reactions, either fight or flight. I'm, I'm out of here. But Paul says we're not a coward, and we're not to be aggressors either, but we are to show or to demonstrate reasonableness to everyone. So how could they do this? And how can we do it in our situations? Back to our foundational clause. Verse five, it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Here's why, and here's how. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand first in terms of, like we said, his return and his rescue for his people. 
He will come to usher in finally and fully his kingdom. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, listen, it's not always going to be like this, Philippians. It's not always going to be like this. You're not always going to have this oppressive, aggressive government over you. You're not always going to be in this economic situation. For us, you know, we're not always going to have these health issues. We're not always going to have this pandemic over us. We're not always going to struggle with, with these sins and these issues and these, these insecurities and these strongholds that we have in our lives. Jesus will return one day and he's going to usher in his perfect kingdom filled with his glory that we will enjoy for all eternity. So that's our perspective, that this will end, that is coming. This is not our permanent reality, that is our permanent reality. And so we look at the coming hand of the Lord for perspective and comfort and hope on the now. But then in the moment, he says, we have the hand of the Lord to guide us and to help us through our anxiety and through our stressful situations that we're in. And so if we can remember that, then imagine how that could help us in our responses to people in, stresses, in stressful and anxious moments. Imagine how it could help us make decisions in those moments. Just think, this is not my permanent reality. I have a great, glorious home on the way. But in the moment, I have a very, very big Lord and Savior who is at hand, who will help me so I can be gentle, so I can be reasonable in the moment. The last way we fight off anxiety is by responding to the right voice. Because here's the thing, your anxieties will speak to you. They love to start sentences with what if, and this is what I had on the plane. Maybe you've experienced it too, you know, like, what if no one comes? Or, you know, what if they don't like you? Or what if he or she never changes? You ever experienced those, um, those hypothetical scenarios in your mind? Have you ever had like an imaginary conversation with someone? Or like if they say this, then I'm gonna say that. Or if they do that, well then I'm gonna do that. And we, and we work ourselves up and we get so anxious and the person is not even in the room. We don't even know if they're gonna say what we think they're gonna say. But we're worked up and we, we're, guns are blazing, ready to go. And so we reject it. We reject it by taking it to God. Here's how Paul says it. Look at verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let me show you something that just further demonstrates the sovereign lordship of Jesus over all things, especially things that cause anxiety. Can you see those all-inclusive words, anything and everything? Meaning nothing is left out of their realm. They, they encompass everything. It's not like Paul is saying to us, well, you could probably be anxious about your finance situation, because that's bad. And then you could probably be a, little, be a little bit anxious about your work situation, because that's super confusing. So all the best with that. But the other things, you're good to go. No, we don't need to be anxious about anything. That word anything encompasses and includes the anything that you are experiencing or will ever experience. And he tells us why. Because we can take everything, not some things, everything to Jesus in prayer. 
So Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is therefore showing us that there's absolutely nothing Jesus is not over and can't do something about. He is the sovereign Lord who's at hand. In other words, he's saying, turn your anxiety into requests before God. The word prayer there is in the general sense of prayer, meaning praise and worship. And in, and in the Greek mindset, it was, a, it was a pleading for the presence of God. And this, by the way, is how we can rejoice in God, going back to our first point. In fact, what I would do is, is take all of the verses that describe the Lordship of Jesus, like I did, and meditate on them and pray through them, and I guarantee you it will lead to, to awe and wonder and praise and worship of Jesus. Whereas supplication is more specific. Michael Eaton once said it like this. He said, it's like a weaker person casting himself at the mercy of a stronger, more powerful person pleading specifically, keyword, pleading specifically for help. Can you come and help me with this particular thing? Because you've got the strength, I don't. I'll show you in a second. And then he says, we are to remember to wrap our prayers and wrap our specific re requests in thanksgiving. Because we believe God is sovereign, according to Ephesians 1.11, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that he gets the glory and we get the good. So there is never a situation in our lives where God is not at work, where God is not in control. That's why we go to him in prayer. He is the stronger person. That's why we go to him in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. But now, there is an amazing promise if we do this. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You will receive, receive God's peace, which cannot be rationalized. I mean, our brains are amazing. They can do incredible things. Come up with amazing arguments, calculate the most complicated things. But they cannot fathom why you could have peace despite the circumstances and the situations that we're in. Take, for example, Paul and Silas in Philippi when they planted the church. Remember, they, they exercised a, a slave ghoul from a demon, and then they were thrown into prison. They were beaten up by a mob, and they were thrown into prison, locked down into the deepest part of the prison, chained, and at 12 o'clock at night, they were so badly bruised and bleeding, they couldn't sleep. You know what they began to do? They began to sing, sing praises to Jesus. They didn't know what was going to happen to them the next day. For all they knew, they might be executed the next day. But that is what the peace of God does. It defies our rationality despite our circumstances and our situations. And so how does God's peace do this? Look at verse 7. It says it guards. It guards our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus. The word God literally means to guard like a Roman soldier. Remember, Paul was chained to a Roman soldier. Our hearts and our minds are going to be chained to God's peace. Roman soldiers would, ever, would, would also keep watch over the city gates, making sure nothing entered them. They, some say they would walk back and forth across the city gates, making sure that not just anyone could enter, not just anyone could, could exit the city. And so what a great picture of God's peace, walking back and forth across our, our hearts and our minds, protecting us from anxiety attacks, from internal thoughts, getting out of control, or, or external stimulus. Help them not getting out of control. 
So, to finish off, I want to get as practical and as helpful as I can be. Knowing that the Lord now is at hand, how do we, knowing that, fight off anxiety as practically as we can? Like we said at the beginning, we, we ultimately fight anxiety with joy in the Lord or by rejoicing in the Lord. And, and Paul is also telling us here that we fight anxiety through prayer. And so I was thinking, so how do we combine the two to do this? How can prayer be a means of rejoicing in the Lord or finding our joy in the Lord that will then help us fight off our anxiety? I discovered something that one of my preaching heroes, John Piper, uses that completely revolutionized the way I pray. He came up with an acronym called APTAT. Uh, I think I might have shared it before. And I've been using this for years now. It's, it's almost like it's second nature now to how I pray. I, I use it before I preach, any, before any anxious situation. I use it before I preach, you know, I, I either do it during the last song or, or before the service starts or while I'm, I'm driving here. Or I use it when I, I have a big decision that I have to make or, or I have to make an, an uncomfortable phone call or I have to meet someone for coffee and I know it's going to be a heavy conversation. Or if I'm just struggling with something internally. So here's how it works, and I trust that it will help you. So the A stands for admit that you can do nothing apart from God. Acknowledge that you can't do anything apart from God. Is that biblical? John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. I like to call this the, the theology of I can't but he can. Completely opposite to the Nike slogan. And so as counterintuitive as this sounds, it, it's incredibly freeing. It's counterintuitive to, to secular counseling who says, no, you can do it. With the right tools and the right coping mechanisms, you can do it. But Jesus, our Lord and Savior, invites us to rely fully on him. What he's saying is, we cannot live the Christian life apart from him. We cannot become more and more like him and therefore overcome anxiety more and more. And we cannot um, overcome or put off our sin and our insecurities and our situations apart from him. He's saying, hey, just remember, you're the branch. He's the vine. He has the one who has all of the power, life-giving power, so that's the first thing. I, I just come before him and say, Lord, I cannot preach this sermon apart from you. Or Lord, I, I cannot make this phone call apart from you. Lord, I, ca I can't meet this person apart from you. I can't make this decision apart from you. So on that plane ride from South Africa to Cayman, that's, that's how I, I stopped that, that voice, those what if scenarios. I just simply said, Lord, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I need you. I cannot lead my family in this new chapter. I cannot lead this new church without you. It's so incredibly freeing to do this, to take all the pressure off myself and, and just bring it before the sovereign Lord Jesus. And he invites us to do this. He invites us all to do this. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, he tells us to cast all of our anxieties onto him. Cast them onto him because he cares for us. He's saying, bring it, just bring it. Then comes P, 
which stands for pray for help. And this is what Paul is telling us and he's telling the Philippians to do. So A is a confession of our limitation and P is a plea for help. Please, sovereign Lord, come and help me now. Now in the past, this, is, this would be the sum total of, of, how, I handle all of my, uh, how I handle all of my anxious situations. I'll just say, Jesus, please help, amen. But I didn't experience any of this joy in the Lord that would help me fight the anxiety. I didn't, it didn't lead to this awe and wonder of the sovereign Lord Jesus and all of his power over all things that would give me confidence in him and this peace that surpasses the situation. So John Piper then added the next step. He's, he brings in T. And that stands for take hold of a promise or trust a specific promise. In other words, is there something in God's word pertaining to your particular situation that you can draw strength and courage and joy in him from? This is so vitally important. This is where we begin to listen to the right voice. We stop listening to our anxiety and we replace it with something specific from Jesus, something specific that he's saying to us. So here's a go-to of mine I'll share it with you. You're welcome to use it. Isaiah 41, 9 to 10. I mean, this is like 90% of the time, this is my go-to verse. It says, you are my servant, I have chosen you and have not rejected you. I mean, I can just stop on that line there and I, and I just thank him. He's, he's chosen me, he's not rejected me because Jesus, as my substitute on the cross, he took my rejection. We are chatting with some friends earlier this week and we were just marveling at the cross and how Jesus is our perfect substitute. He was rejected for me because he took my sin so that I might be reconciled to God. And so as a result of that, verse 10, he says, so do not fear, for I am with you, this big sovereign God. Do not be dismayed, don't be anxious, don't be stressed out, why? For I am your God. Then look at this, I will strengthen you. you don't, you're not gonna do it in your own strength. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And what I do is I read and I reread it and I pray through it until I experience that peace that guards my heart and my mind. And then I do A. A is act. Do whatever it is you have to do. I come up and I preach, I make the phone call, I meet the person for coffee. I make the decision, whatever it might be. And then T, lastly, is thank God. Thank Him. Because remember, Paul said, wrap your prayers, wrap your supplications with thanksgiving. Thank Him for helping you do whatever you had to do. Thank Him for the strength. Thank Him for the wisdom or whatever it is that He did. Trust Him that He had His way. Even if the situation didn't work out as quite as you would have hoped it would have worked out. But you trust Him. You're, you're in control. So maybe he just simply used you to expose someone in that person's life or, or to encourage them in some way and now you allow God to continue the work in that person's life. But thank him because he is in control over, over all things. And I trust that's helpful. That is how we fight anxiety. In the joy, but that joy has 
grounds to it, it has depth to it. It's the joy of knowing the power. It's the joy of knowing the authority and wisdom of Jesus over all things that we can call on in our situations and our circumstances.